Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Thank you, Alora. Thank you, worship team. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe Katulski, and I am the campus pastor at our Laporte campus, and it's my privilege to be able to be here on the uh, Preaching World Tour, um, and uh, Brad was the originator of that joke, so I'm just going to give him all the credit. All the best jokes are probably Brad's jokes, so we'll just say that. But um, yeah, so I've been here, it's hard to believe, but I've been at the Laporte campus for five years, and that time... I, I didn't expect clapping. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, just, it's just been one of those things where it's like you, you look around and you're like, oh, I've been here for five years. This is, this is amazing. And it feels like to me like we're just getting started. Um, when we came to Laporte, we were about 84 people. There was 84, 85 people as an average Sunday attendance. And now we're just around 200 in average attendance. And that's exciting. <laughs> Our, um, if you guys know or don't know, our family, we're a foster care family. And so um, in the time our church has grown, our family has grown, we went from, we brought with us two children, and now we have six. So that's, that's and they're all, all, wow, people are just clapping. You don't have to clap. I'm just, I feel like I haven't been here preaching for about a year, so I'm like, I'm just going to give you guys kind of a little bit of an update. Um, so, but thanks for the clap. This is, a, this is a great crowd. You know, I feel loved. I feel welcome. That's really good. Actually, the energy in the room is really good. Just hearing the excitement and the, the, just the talking beforehand, I feel like there's some, God is doing amazing. He's doing really good things in all of our locations. And this is a privilege for me to see you guys here on Sunday. Today, we're talking about praise. We're talking about wow. Last couple of weeks, last week, Tim talked about thanks and thanksgiving. Kevin, before that, talked about lament or the why. And before that, Daryl talked about confessing. And those are all kind of, a lot of those topics, except for thanks, a lot of those are pretty hard topics to handle. And I get the privilege of actually having a positive message. There's a few people who came in and asked, well, is, are you going to, am I going to feel really convicted today? And I, I hope that you do feel convicted because it's God's word. But today is actually a really encouraging sermon because what we're talking about is what we sang about for the last 30 minutes or so is praise about who our God is and how great he is. I'm guessing that when we think about the idea of praise, we are probably fairly distant from the meaning of praise that you find in Scripture. So what I'm guessing is that our typical uh, contact with the word praise outside of this building, outside of this room, is something like uh, uh, you'll, you'll read praise for the latest movie, and lately it seems to be a weird Barbie movie. Like who thought like a plastic doll would get a movie? And okay, so praise for the Barbie movie, and you look at that and you're like, is that how we use praise now? Um, or you'll see praise for this latest book. And, and almost always what you find is that the word praise in our culture is pointing towards something that you're supposed to buy. Praise for 
product X, praise for media property X, right? It's praise for this thing that is just kind of nothing more than marketing or nothing more than hype. And so when we encounter the concept or the word praise in Scripture, it's tempting for us to think, oh, this is the part of the Bible that's basically the marketing part where it's marketing religion or it's marketing God. Like this is, the, this is the, hey, hype God up part of the Bible. And so when we encounter the word praise, sometimes I think we import our cultural understanding of the concept into here. But that's not what's going on in Psalms. In Psalm 99 does some of the work to help us understand when we talk about praise, we're talking about wow. We're talking about awe. We're talking about wonder. And the feeling is less of being hyped up for something and more the feeling of fear or even exhilaration at being in the presence of a powerful ruler. Psalm 99 verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. When we pray, our response should be of breathtaking wonder. There should be some fear, some exhilaration. And for modern people, this is, these, are, these are difficult emotions to come by because we don't believe that we have powerful leaders who are in charge of us. A couple weeks ago, I came across these crazy, uh, artificially intelligent-generated pictures of world leaders visiting the beach. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, okay, some of those pictures, like, you know, they, the art, it's obviously artificial intelligence because they look better than they do in real life. I mean, just, just saying. A little bit less, you know, maybe a little less chubby, a little less more attractive looking, that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, artificial intelligence got it right. Putin is never going to smile even when he goes to the beach, right? You know, these, these are the kind of things. And, you know, images like these, which are flooding our social media and flooding the internet now, of, of people that we, we know about, we know kind of what they do, we know what they're in charge of, and the images like this kind of trick us to believe that these are everyday normal people who go to the beach wearing Hawaiian shirts, that we could actually kind of encounter somebody like these people. And these images kind of got, have let us imagine that they're not just people raising our taxes or oppressing people. Right? Some of these people that I have on the screen are pretty evil, pretty, pretty bad people. And we like to imagine because of images like this and because of, of, of constantly seeing pictures and hearing stories about world leaders that we have access to them. But who really has access to any of these people? I mean, maybe Donald Trump. He's got access from his top political advisors and managers and lawyers. Joe Biden has people in his cabinet or other high-ranking officials Putin, it's probably a small collection of ge generals and oligarchs. Very few people have access to Putin. Maybe with Emmanuel Marcon, the French president, he has access from his personal trainer and his hairstylist. I mean, look at the guy. He's like a model. And if you're like, how dare you make fun of somebody? If you can't make fun of the French, who can you make fun of these days? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. I, and if that, you don't like that joke, I got it from Brad. 
sense. We like to imagine a world where there are no powerful leaders and we the people are actually the ones in charge. But the truth is where there are governments, there will always be a small concentration of people where most of the power is located. That's how it is. That's how governments always work. The system always works to make fewer people more powerful. And those fewer people, because of the pressures of their job, to be kind, but also because of their power, we simply don't have access to them. We can't walk into Joe Biden's office and say, hey, I have something I need your help with. We'd like to think we can do that, but we don't have access to him. And it's in this space of greatness and awe and even distance that we approach God. In order to get beyond the metaphor of marketing and hype, praise for some product, we have to think about God in the way the people in the Old Testament thought about him. When we pray, we're doing more than just following somebody on Twitter. When we pray, we're doing more than consuming some news about a politician. When we pray, we are talking to the most exalted being in the universe. When we pray, we're talking to the most exalted being in the universe. Highest person, most powerful, most exalted. God is the most awe-inspiring, most famous, most powerful. When the scriptures provide a vision of, of God, they picture him in an ethereal throne room filled with smoke. See him sitting on a golden throne. And in that room is power. All the symbols and signs of power are in that room. And you could feel it like, like the power that's in a, a summer rain cloud that has all the electricity still in it and it hasn't come out yet. When, when you feel that the power of God, when you encounter it in Scripture, you're seeing something that's unbelievably powerful. Theologically, we call this omnipotence. That is, God is all-powerful. He has all the power. All the power there is, he has it. Omnipotent. We sang about it. Perfect in power. Right? We sang about it just a little bit ago. When we pray to God, we're talking to the most exalted being in the universe, and this should strike in our heart like a lightning bolt. Let's read the text. Psalm 99, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He ex is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. The images in this psalm are specific. They're evoking a very specific place that the Jewish people would very easily imagine because they saw that place, at least some of it. And what this psalm pictures isn't just any old throne room that you could find in any country, but it's the throne room of God located in the temple. Jewish temple, the heart of Jewish life and culture and worship. 
the Lord is enthroned upon the cherubim. And this is the reference to the most holy place, the holy of holies, where inside the holy of holies, inside the temple, there was a room. And in that room was the Ark of the Covenant of Indiana Jones fame, right? The Ark of the Covenant is there. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the cherubim. They're, They're two angels, golden angels. And most pictures have them covering the entire Ark. And on top of that was the golden throne. And so this psalm is picturing God in his holy throne, ruling from the temple, ruling from that place. And, and so we have these categories in our culture of we have politics and the people who are in charge, and then we have religion and, and maybe the people in charge there, and we have these two separate worlds. In the Jewish world, it was a theocracy. There was one and the same. The power in the temple was the power that ruled the people. And he's pictured in the Holy of Holies, which is a room within a room within the temple that nobody had access to except for the high priest who would come to that one Holy of Holy, that one room, that one part of the temple once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then the outside of that room was another room, which was the holy place. And some of the other priests would go into that place. And then outside of the of that holy place was the temple, and only Jewish people could go there. Verse 2 pictures not just the Lord in a religious setting, but he pictures him as the ruler ruling from Zion. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the people. For the Jewish people, this, of course, this reference to Zion was, of course, Jerusalem. It was the hill that Jerusalem was built on, and that was referred to as the hill of Zion. But in the Jewish mind, it wasn't just the hill, the actual hill that Jerusalem was built on. It was the hill that God lived on, the mountain of God, Mount Zion. It was a place from which he ruled and reigned, the spiritual place. And it's from this place that he rules the entire earth. And God is exalted above all of the earth. God is pictured as a great king who makes perfect justice and perfect goodness happen. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Praise his great and awesome name. Everywhere else in the world is just like a place for God to put his foot. See that reference? Verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. The temple, in all of its grandeur, in all of its amazing like qualities, is pictured as the footstool of God, and everywhere else is the ground. When we pray, we're praying to the most exalted king in the universe, and because of this, we need help for him to hear our requests. When we pray, we must have a mediator who can bring our petitions. When we pray, we must have a mediator who can bring our petitions. So if you wanted to get a message to the President of the United States, you would have a hard time getting it. Like a personal, this is my message to the President. Yes, you can write a letter. You can send it in. And maybe it might get read. Probably not. It will be read by someone, maybe. But to be read by the President is highly unlikely. So if you wanted to get a message to the President, it's not like you could jump the fence on Pennsylvania Avenue, run across that nice lawn and go up to the front door and just knock. Like, if you did that, you would be on the news 
and or, or you might get shot. Yeah, I didn't consider that. But you'll definitely make the news, whether you're shot or not, you'll make the news. And you won't get your message to the president unless the message was, I'm an idiot, I'm running over the fence here, right? If that was your message, then you got it across. But otherwise, you're not really getting your message across. It's not like you can pull up your car to the driveway and say, hey, is Joe home? You can't do that, right? Now, you can do that to my house. Like, I have a driveway, and you could pull up into my driveway, and you could just shout, hey, is Joe home? And if I'm home, I'll talk to you, right? You can do that to me, but you can't drive up to the White House and shout, is Joe home? Because, you're, again, you'll, you'll probably be escorted, probably nicely, but firmly escorted off the premises. <laughs> Might not be nicely. I don't know. Maybe you can make a sign. You know how everybody makes signs these days? It's like we have the power of printing real nice signs, except when you go and everyone protests, they make the worst signs possible. And they stay, I'm like, okay, make better signs. But we can make a sign. You could stand outside of the White House and you can hold your sign. You could chant. You could say all sorts of things. And you could try to get a message across. But even that will probably be mostly ignored. So your best chance of actually getting a message to the president is to know somebody on the inside. Your best chance is to know somebody who works with the president, who isn't the president, who doesn't have as much power, who you can talk to them and then they can talk to the president if your message is good enough, is worthy to get all the way there. What you need is a man on the inside. This person would be your advocate or your go-between. They would make the connection for you. When we pray, we must have a mediator who can bring our petitions before God. We need an advocate to go between us and God. And if you think about it, if we need an advocate or somebody to go between us and the president of a democratically elected president who is only in power four to eight years, not very long. If we need that for somebody who's just a human in an office, how much do we need that for our God? Somebody who is great and powerful. And this is where the text brings us to. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them and you were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. A priest is a mediator who stands between the people and God. That's what a priest does. That is their job. The priest makes sure that God's message gets to the people and the people's message gets to God. And this is done in several ways in the Jewish temple. This is done by sacrifices. So the people would bring an animal sacrifice to the temple. It would be live when they brought it and then it would be killed. It would be slaughtered and and offered as a sacrifice. And the priest's job was to do that, was to, to kill the animal and to offer it as a sacrifice to God. And, and much of the time, this was a sacrifice for sin. Someone says, I, I've sinned. I need to communicate that I am uh, lamenting and I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm confessing my sin and I'm bringing this and hoping for the blood of the animal and the blood to sacrifice, to forgive their sins and to, that God would look on them with favor. 
Another way that this happened was through incense. And the, the, the priest would continually, as part of their work, they would keep incense burning in the temple constantly, day and night, day and night. It would never stop burning. And the incense was representing the prayers of the people raising up. And so people would bring their prayers to the priest, and the priest would pray, and the incense would go up, and the prayers would go up. And this was kind of a pattern of worship in the temple. And this is the priest's job, to mediate between people and God. And the Holy of Holies was only entered one time. And this is, again, a mediation effort where one high priest once a year would offer the sacrifice. And this is what, this is the, this is what priests did. And it mentions Samuel as well. And, and Samuel isn't a priest, but he acts, like a, a, he acts as a prophet speaking God's words to people. And he, he helps people understand what God said. This is the job of a mediator. Now, you might notice that we don't have any priests around here. Please don't call me Father Joe. Please, I'm sure Tim uh, will appreciate me saying this, don't call him Father Tim, right? We're not priests. Why don't we have priests? If this idea is so important, why don't we have priests up here on Sunday? Why don't we have priests doing some of the similar work? Well, maybe you didn't know this but we do have a priest. You guys know where I'm going. 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Our priest is Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He is our man on the inside. He is the one who is actually there petitioning God, on our behalf, it's why we say in Jesus' name when we pray, not just to make our prayers more fancy and prayer-like, we say it because we're addressing it to Jesus who will take it to the Father, and because Jesus is saying it, the Father listens. We have a mediator, his name is Jesus, he is our high priest, and we can come boldly because of Jesus. So here's the things. God is the most exalted being in the universe. Jesus is our mediator who connects us to God. Both of those things remain true. So when we pray, we come to God, the Almighty Father, with boldness because when we pray, we can now come like a family member. We can now come like a family member when before we couldn't. This is the essential change. That God is glorious and high and exalted and holy has not changed. He is still all of those things. That we need a mediator has not changed. Jesus is our mediator. What has changed is our relationship to God. And that is now not a relationship where we come and hope that our sacrifice does something or we hope that something happens when we go to the temple. Our relationship is now that of a child. We're his kids Go back to our example, the American president. We don't have access to Joe Biden. We just don't. But if we were related to Joe Biden, we would have open and free access to the White House. You may or may not like it, but Hunter Biden has access to the president because he's his son. Whether you like him or not, he has access to the president because he's related 
special access. You can come and go. No one's going to kick him out. Because we have been adopted into his family, we praise him as the exalted God of heaven, but we do so from the vantage point of one of his kids. His holiness doesn't change. His exalted nature doesn't change. What we do, we change. And we are made to be his kids because he adopts us. Hebrews 4.16 describes what happens and the access and privilege we have. I'm actually going to read uh, verses 14 through 16. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The psalm teaches us to pray in a way that probably otherwise we wouldn't. See, this psalm manages to hold the tension of the greatness and exalted nature of God being the most exalted being in the universe and shows us the need for a mediator. But then we know, because of what Jesus has done, we know that we can go boldly into that throne Because we've been adopted, we thought before we had to grovel, we had to plead, we had, we had to do something to, to earn his merit. But instead, we walk in with our shoulders back and we can go boldly, not because we're something, but because we're his kids. So this changes something. Knowing how great God lifts our view from lesser things. Maybe you had a difficult week with one of your kids. Maybe you have an ongoing health crisis, health problem that is endless doctor visits and no answers. Pain, suffering, annoyance, uncertainty. Maybe you have a boss who makes your life misery. Maybe you have something that's just grinding you down and you hate it and you can't stand it, but this psalm invites you to look up, to praise God, to praise him because he is so high and exalted and not just praise him in a vague sense like he's being hyped, but praise him because we have access. We're going to end by praising him. I'm going to pray. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and do that all over again. Let's pray. Father, wow. You are high, you are holy, you are lifted up, you are enthroned above every throne. Above every power that we can imagine, you are higher and holier and better. Your goodness is breathtaking. Your righteousness, your, your sense of, your, your understanding of justice is perfect. When we scream it's not fair, you know what really is fair. Lord, thank you that you are high and holy and lifted up and so, so great. We come to you not groveling, not fearful. We come to you knowing the exhilaration of having a father who's in charge of everything. 
We come to you boldly knowing that you hear us, you answer us. That you provided a way for us. We come boldly with all of our our small requests, knowing that you care for them and you care for us. Lord, we lift you high. You are exalted. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.